Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to the Four Person Show on Blog Talk Radio. We are your enthusiastic and faithful Catholic apostolate. For more information about what we do, go to our show page at thefourpersons.com and our blog site at thefourpersons.net. To call in tonight with your comment or question, dial 515-602-9655. The number, again, is 515-602-9655. to the Four Persons Podcast, the inaugural edition of Tangled Mess, a weekly struggle to untangle with the assistance of Mary Undoer of Knots, the tangled messes we find and sometimes create in our own lives. Your host is a mother, professional church musician, and psychotherapist. Please welcome Deb Rojas. Are you there, Deb? Whew, good question. I took a it took a little while to kind of figure out how to join you on here. Um, I have a very cool microphone that is currently not plugged into my laptop because I couldn't figure out how to how to connect with you on the um, on the web. But uh, a lot of clients today, so I'm a bit tired. But mm-hmm. looking forward to this conversation. How many did you have today? Oh goodness. Uh, I think I had seven, which was a lighter day for me. That's still quite a few, though, to uh, focus your mind in on a, a, a person and what they're talking about, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And a couple new ones. So it's establishing the relationship, learning their story, what what brings them to therapy. And, right. Um, you know, that, that takes a little bit more work, I think, for me, a little more energy. Absolutely. So, Deb, remind us how we can get hold of you if you want to join the ever-lengthening list of people waiting to be your client. I work for Integrity Counseling Services, which is located in Pennsylvania. We have offices and um, in-person availability, but also telehealth services. And um, so Integrity Counseling Services, you can look us up online or call 6106. 019781. Thank you, Deb. And remember, folks, this show is a joint production of the renowned Four Persons Blog and St. Barnabas Reconciliation Ministries, a nonprofit Catholic company dedicated to reconciling all family members to each other, all Christian denominations to each other, and all people to God. For information on services or to schedule a counseling or mediation appointment, you can call St. Barnabas on 573-692-4126. Now, Deb, this week I wanted to bounce a case off you from a few years ago that I had. Mm-hmm. Remember, if you're hearing this, that all cases are carefully camouflaged so that no one's privacy is compromised. Mm-hmm. If you recognize yourself in one of these cases, then you are wrong. <laughs> it's not you. <laughs> So, a few years ago, a 17-year-old girl of mixed race came to see me. She was profoundly depressed, and part of the reason I could tell that was because her hair was really in a big snarl and just pulled up on top of her head. She was in sweats. She um, said that she had been sleeping a lot. She'd been sleeping all day long. She'd been missing school. Um, She wasn't sure, however, why she was depressed. She did say she didn't feel like she had any friends. She didn't have any hope for the future. So I asked her a little bit about her family. Her father left the family when she was just six. So she has had very little contact with him up to the point when I saw her. Her stepfather had been very warm and nurturing when he came into her life until her mother and he had their own baby. And then she was chopped liver. Yesterday's news. So, more recently, she had broken up with a nice boy that she found quite dull. Um, She had to think of all the ideas of what to do when they were together. He didn't really initiate anything. 
<laughs> After that, she had totally burned her bridges by sleeping with her ex's friend. So then, the week before she showed up in my office, she begged an older boy to give her some weed. And when she went to his house, he forced himself on her. What really got to me, Deb, was what she told me the boy had said to her. How can I concentrate when you keep crying? Mm. It was a really tough case. So, suppose this girl had walked into your office. What's going on with this kid? Mm. How can I concentrate when you keep crying? That just gets to the heart, doesn't it, as a therapist? Mm-hmm. You'll notice, Fred, that I answer the questions that <laughs> that I that I um, you know it may not be the question that you ask that gets answered. How's that? Um, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is that you know, as a therapist listening listening to that, my heart mm-hmm. breaks for her. She's obviously in a tremendous amount of pain, and um, you know it's pretty obvious in her loneliness why she's feeling so depressed. It's a lot to carry on her own. Um, And, you know, in different ways I have had this client in my, in my office. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, the thing that really she's most looking for in all of this is love. Mm-hmm. And um, I have found that my ability to reach her in that space of recognizing that she is lovable, right, and that right. the you know that that the hurt. How let's see, you you have a way of putting me on the spot that makes me have to think out loud. <laughs> It is not my favorite thing to do, but it's so, necessary I, for this particular process. <laughs> from our from our standard cognitive behavioral approach, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. the standard, but unfortunately yeah. not your approach. <laughs> we would uh, look merely for ways that she's uh, she's got cognitive distortions, right? She's thinking wrong about things. She's not understanding them. Or she's got wrong assumptions, or she's telling herself wrong things with her automatic thoughts, right? Right. So with the wrong assumptions, the one of the, the first assumptions would be, I'm not lovable. There's something right. wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, even though you and I kind of come at it from different angles, we still come, we still arrive at the same place. <laughs> um, Sometimes. Often. <laughs> not all the time. This is true. This is true. Um, so, you know, when when I'm like racking my brain of how I would connect with her, like one of the first things that I would do in you know in encountering her is just tell her very very outright that her you know especially when you're talking about rape, which you didn't use the word particularly, but that is what we're talking about here. Yeah, but that's sure. not her fault. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not her fault. And and what happened to her is awful and right. could never have happened. And, you know, th- just to sit with that, with her in that space and let her accept that reality that that's not her fault. Because at this point, she's probably still blaming herself because she went mm-hmm. to his house. Right. Um, so that would be one of those distortions, right? Mm-hmm. That it's my fault. Yeah, absolutely. And why would someone blame themselves in a situation like that? Do you think when it's obviously not? I mean, you might question the judgment, right? Like you know that this is right. not a nice person. Why are you going alone to his house? Might be a matter mm-hmm. of poor judgment, but nobody deserves to have that happen to them, even if they mm-hmm. made a mistake. So why do people blame themselves like that? Well, powerlessness, that sense of powerlessness Mm -hmm. of being in a situation like that where one is truly overwhelmed Mm -hmm. and defenseless. 
So because she feels uh, powerless, uh, maybe it makes her feel a little bit better to to blame herself? Because if you blame yourself, then maybe there's something you can do about it. I think it, there's something there's something to that, Fred. Mm-hmm. Or like maybe I, somehow I could have prevented this. Mm-hmm. But the thing of it is, when you try to talk someone out of blaming themselves, it doesn't often work right away. So how do you manage that? Tell, tell, well, I was going to say to you, <laughs> tell me more about that, Brad. <laughs> what do you want to know more about, Deb? Ask me anything. Uh, well, you know, when somebody is trying to argue with you that it is their fault, because they put themselves in that position. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the distinction helps, I think. The distinction between making a mistake and being morally culpable, you know, those are two very different things. But in the confusion mm-hmm. of a very painful situation, people will often confound the two. They'll mix them up. So mm-hmm. that's the first thing. Mm-hmm. But the second thing is um, I try not to talk about resistance. I try to talk about Instead, people feeling heard or not feeling heard. Anytime Mm I offer one of my brilliant interpretations and the client rejects it, for some crazy reason, um, Mm -hmm. I I try to remember immediately that the reason that they're not open to that, it couldn't possibly be that I'm wrong, but it is probable that (laughs) they are not ready to hear. They don't feel like I have understood them, right? And so Mm -hmm. in that case... Mm -hmm. I slow way up, and then I try to do a good job of going back around and um, doing mm-hmm. my active listening so that they really do mm-hmm. feel heard, feel seen. Well, you know, and I wonder if, you know, men have a, a historic reputation for being fixers. For being what? And such fixers of things, fixers of problems. Oh. You right, know, like, yeah. you, you know, typically come to a, a, a man with a problem, and, and he's very much solution-oriented in his approach. Right. Um, which is why I do think male therapists particularly like CBT uh, because it does get to that very quickly. There's an easy way to, to address a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but in order to address the problem, you hit on a very crucial point, and that's one of connection. That's one of, of knowing that I'm I'm in a space mm-hmm. where I am safe, where right. I am accepted as I am, where I mm-hmm. am heard and understood, where what the is, pain what is, is the, heard. Yeah, go on. The pain is heard, you said, and then I started interrupting you. You were interrupting me, yes. Um, what, what would you like to add to that, Fred? What I would like to add is what does this safe mean? I mean, everybody talks about safe, but nobody actually defines it. What does hmm. that mean, safe? Hmm... Why, what does it mean for her to feel safe? What does it mean for her to feel safe? In the therapeutic context, that she's accepted. Mm-hmm. Um, a safe space would be that there's not any judgment. She's already judging herself mm-hmm. a lot. And, um, and in that, finding herself very much culpable. Mm-hmm guilty. Um, so to be able to come into a space where she can process all of those emotions, that fear, the pain, the anger, um, the injustice of it all, mm-hmm. with someone who is simply accepting her in a relationship that is designed to help her heal, when you think about the nature of a therapeutic relationship. Right. You know, it's not it's not two friends getting together. Um, it's it's really for the purpose of healing, and so she's bringing her her most painful places. It's like going to the doctor with you know an infection, and you know the the doctor it's it's you know sterilized. He's not in there going you know why didn't you come? maybe he's saying why didn't you come to me four weeks sooner. Um, mm. <laughs> Yeah. But he's providing he's providing that he's providing those things in a sterilized clean environment. And with us it's a little trickier because it's not as simple as an infection. 
you know, we can't really, we can't see. Um, right. We can't, it's not tangible in that nature. Right, right. We can, um, but so, yeah, so safe is really, it's it's acceptance. Um, mm-hmm. For me as a counselor, it is genuine love, though it has a particular place, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know how did when you when you think of that within the context of a therapeutic relationship, what does that word entail for you, Fred? Um, no, I think that you've hit the nail on the head in terms of she's not uh, she's not worried about being condemned or ridiculed, mm-hmm. right? Her mm-hmm. concerns are not going to be dismissed out of hand. That uh, mm-hmm. whether I think she's doing the right thing or did the right thing or whatever, I'm going to listen to her with acceptance of her as a person. So she knows that she's not yeah. going to be trounced verbally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So here's the key question: She doesn't mm-hmm. want. Uh-oh. She didn't want me to tell her mother, right? She uh, before mm-hmm. she told me any of this. She uh, reviewed the confidentiality rules, um, mm-hmm. and the confidentiality is uh, doesn't exist between children and their parents when they are under 16 in, in my state of Missouri, but when mm-hmm. they hit 17, there are some limits, so I was able to tell her that I wouldn't run directly to her mother and tell anything embarrassing, but if she was mm-hmm. in danger... I would definitely tell her mother. So after I had heard all she had to say, then, in fact, I didn't go and tell her mother. But was that a mistake? Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that? What would you think is the thing to do there? Mm, how do I feel about it and what do I think are two different questions. So which one would you like me to answer? <laughs> Both. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, you know, as a mother, as not only a therapist, but also as a mother, um, I don't like it. it I don't. It, I don't feel good about it. You know, um, if something terrible is happening to my kid, I want to know about it so I can help them through it. Absolutely. At the same time, you know that's that's you know so that's the you know the feeling the heart component of that. Um, did you do the right thing? You did, and it doesn't mean that her mother won't eventually find out. Mm-hmm. But you did the right thing because you preserved the therapeutic relationship. So it when you say therapeutic relationship, I mean the relationship between you and the client. So she wasn't. She didn't get mad at me. Is that what you mean? So in preserving the relationship. Mm-hmm. I mean that had you told her mother and she had explicitly said, you know, obviously she'll review the rules. This is very, very important to her at this point that her mother not know. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you had violated that very particular request of hers at the very beginning of establishing a therapeutic relationship, a relationship particularly for the purposes of healing, that mm-hmm. has to be based on trust, you would probably have lost her. Right, right. So that doesn't mean that you can't proceed with the hope that you can help her talk to her mother about it. Mm -hmm. And in that way, help her. um, Well, you know, she's, she's feeling like she's feeling very much alone mm-hmm. and she's feeling displaced. You had mentioned a, a new sibling from a new mm-hmm. marriage. So um, she's really feeling displaced and, you know, not knowing her mother, we only have her portrayal of her. Right. You know, so we don't know whether her mother's actually really concerned about her or or what. Um, so one of the things that I would do is see what her willingness would be to allow 
her mother into eventually, not not right away, because these things have to be, first you really do have to gain the trust, and that takes time. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that I would I would potentially eventually do is, um, you know, if the if the circumstances were right, um, and I knew that her mother, from her perspective, could potentially be a trusted support, because some mothers really can't. Right, um, right. So it would really depend. It would really depend on on the, you know the stories that she told and the you know the the relationship the history that she has with her mother. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's assume that her mother, you know, it's generally been a good relationship. That she's just really feeling displaced by the new baby and the new husband. Mm-hmm. Um, but and that within that, assuming that the mother, you know, there's a good potential that she really does want to care for her daughter and be a mother to her. Um, mm-hmm. I would I would ask if we could bring her mom into a therapy session, just okay. to work on the relationship, not for the sake of actually discussing that particular issue, mm-hmm. but just to work on the relationship and give them the opportunity to reconnect. Um, so you're kind of going around the the big issue to to establish a little bit more trust or a little bit better relationship with her mother. Is that yeah. what you're saying? Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And and within that to to reinforce that she's not as alone as she thinks she is. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that 17 boyfriends come and go. Right. You know, that's not a reliable support for most people. Um, it's rare. I mean, it was rare back, you know, back when that high school sweethearts got married and stayed married forever. Um, it's, I, I think it's almost unheard of uh, today that that is the is the case. Um, so, you know, she probably one of the things I would also encourage is friendship. Friendship with girls, particularly um, female friendships, really working on establishing those and investing in those. But. Um, yeah, there there is hope within that particular picture that you're painting, but of right. of the establishment of a relationship with mom and moving forward with more trust in that area, which, you know, having lost the relationship with dad, she really needs somebody in her corner. Don't you feel there's like a relationship uh, drought? especially for young people these days. So many of the young people I see say they don't have any friends or they have friends, and uh, but they're online. You know, one lives in mm-hmm. Rhode Island and one lives in Texas. And so I ask myself, like, how real is that friendship? What do you think? Mm-hmm. Ooh, we need a, a few podcasts for friendship. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's... Because it's... Oh, we really do. Uh, I like the the grout. Uh, I like that, that word, that word choice. Um, man, real friendship. If we had more of that, there would be less of a need for therapists. Mm-hmm. Um, because friendship provides that space to be able to process those things that are challenging. Friendship provides, you know, if there's friendship, there's not loneliness. You know, it's um, it's right. really good friendship. And loneliness is what leads to depression and can lead to anxiety too. If you have too much time to think and get in your head. Um, so, yeah. We do. Uh, um, because yes. Authentic friendship. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was uh, I was going to change the subject, so I want you to finish what you're saying. Yeah. Authentic friendship does require presence. Mm-hmm. Um, and it requires the ability to, like, live in community to some degree. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes that space, like, I think it was the friends that I have, that are musicians that are all over the world mm-hmm. that um, I connect with on Facebook groups 
and then, you know, have conversations with. There's a certain level of friendship because we, we have a similar experience. Right. You know, so I think that there are certain levels of friendship that can be had within those spaces. Mm-hmm. But it's not the kind where you can just call someone up and say, hey, do you want to go out for a cup of coffee? Right. So there's, and, a, there's and a limit think, to that friendship being online. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So it's not that one is bad and the other is good, but um, the one is limited. Mm-hmm. And and we long for something more than that. For sure. Uh, I was going to ask you about uh, the weird religion to which you belong, <laughs> to which you belong, Deb. Um, <laughs> you're, not <laughs> you're not actually Catholic, are you? Oh, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Um, that truly is a prayer. Um, <laughs> da, 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 da. Um, yes, the ordinary actually is Catholic. Tell <laughs> <laughs> us about the ordinary. What is the ordinary? The ordinary, okay. It's um, it's far from ordinary. The ordinary is uh, was established by Pope Benedict for converting groups of Anglicans. Um, I believe it was in 2010 that uh, Anglican Orum Caedibus came out, and it was uh, written by Pope Benedict to invite groups of Anglicans back to the church. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I was part of that part of that wave, um, even though I wasn't Anglican, I kind of by default was able to slide in. Um, I did grow up Protestant, and so that is that is my background, and uh, was received into the church back in 2013, so almost 10 years ago. And wow. um, yeah, so um, my home parish is still in Scranton, Pennsylvania, where Father Bergman is uh the the priest and um shepherd and I currently live in the Philadelphia area so my parish is in Bridgeport. And gotcha. um so why did yeah. you become Catholic then? Well I think you and I probably both need a podcast an episode just for that because I could sure. ask you the same question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, even though you're not in the ordinary uh, mm, many many reasons Um, ultimately because it's home Mm -hmm. you know it's really it really is Christ Church Um, and it took a long time for me to realize that uh, which is why we need more time for that particular question. But mm-hmm. truth, the magisterium was a really a key component for me that um, over the millennia that God has preserved his truth for us um, through the Holy Spirit, but also through the church, that we have the scriptures because we had the church first. Right, um, right. There's an authority there, you know, um, we have the Eucharist, John 6. You know, when you take John 6 at face value, well, we need a, we need an episode for that. <laughs> we do, yeah, that would be good. Um, um, uh, yes, go on, Deb. What about you, Fred? Why Catholic? Um, because it has the fullness of the truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I went through the same process of... Uh, trying to find answers. I started by trying to understand why Jesus uh, had to have the Holy Spirit for his father, but could have a a human mother. You know, Mm -hmm. it seemed to me that he couldn't have Joseph as his father because of original sin, but then why Mary? And Mm -hmm. so I started digging around investigating that and found the, uh, the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception. Which I thought was interesting. I didn't uh, give full assent to it at first, but it started a, a process of uh, of reading and digging in, and uh, same sort of things. You know, solo scriptura just doesn't work. It's not coherent, mm-hmm. contradictory. And I had always longed for things that were dignified and beautiful. You know, I love the 
I didn't understand it, but I loved the liturgy of the church before mm-hmm. I knew anything about the, the real teachings of the church. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it all began to come together, and I saw that I could have something that was really beautiful, really true, and really good. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Came into the church, and was it 2016 or 2015? I'm, um, I think it was 2015, yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah, so that longing for the good, the true, and the beautiful, mm-hmm. uh, which is not always reflected in liturgy, is it? <laughs> it is not. Um, that was actually what I was going to bring up because we had talked when we were um, thinking about the show mm-hmm. about listening to some music and uh, having you explain it to us a little bit, if you would, where it fits mm-hmm. and um, what makes it good or uh, fitting beautiful. Oh, I will play this now if you if you like. Are you ready? Oh goodness. Are you going to tell me what oh, you You recognize that, of course. Of course, I do. In fact, I was thinking I'd love to have that be my. Um, I would love to have that be the like part of the the opening of the show eventually, so that like sure. the background, because yeah. that at the that's um, asparagus may. When you think of uh, asparagus may, domino hisopo, um, and what does it mean? Thou shalt sprinkle me with hyssop and I shall be cleansed and so um, this is used in the Latin Mass at the beginning of the liturgy mm-hmm. except during the Easter season and Palm Sunday so um, and and as it's chanted the celebrant goes through the, the congregation and sprinkles holy water and it's that reminder of our baptism symbolizes mm-hmm. our the cleansing that we have in our baptism. Um, and it is so inspiring to hear that sung by hundreds of people. Mm-hmm. I, I wish everybody could have that experience. Let's listen for um, a little bit more. Really, sure. All right, I interrupted you. We can talk. I don't know how to make this work so it goes where we left off. <laughs> there, we could talk, I think, at the same time. That would be respectful, wouldn't it? Sorry. Um, so, um, I think that you can have um, really reverent Novus Ordo Masses as well as uh, Reverend Latin Masses. And I'm sure in the back in the day when the Latin Mass was everywhere and that's all that there was, there were plenty of Latin Masses that were somewhat irreverent, right? Yes, absolutely. In fact, the um, you know, with Holy Week coming up, so as a musician, my ear just trains into the music and it's very difficult to actually actually think um, but for um, for Holy Week the music that we'll be singing um, at St. Mary's which is the Latin Mass Parish in the mm-hmm. Philadelphia area um, is not the norm of what would have been sung at most parishes when the, the Latin Mass was the, the ordinary Mass oh really why is that because of its level of difficulty. Um, so this is, you know, when you think of the the, the Misa Pape Marcelli by Palestrina, mm-hmm. polyphonic mass setting, very complicated, multiple voice parts, and um, and requires a lot of rehearsing. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of musicians go to St. Mary's, and so the choir is all volunteer, but has really, really fabulous leadership, um, and uh, you know that's 
if you, if you, the, for the triduum, um, there is especially incredibly beautiful and um, liturgically appropriate music. Um, but one of the yeah. things that... Mm-hmm. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, uh, triduum, Thursday, uh, Good Friday, and Holy Saturday. Um, so would you recommend that people seek out um, masses or services during that time? Absolutely. Um, I am always surprised by how many people only go to Easter Sunday Mass as opposed to really being able to enter into the the, the narrative of the Triduum. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when we begin the Triduum with Holy Thursday, and, and um, I have to look up why Spy Wednesday is called Spy Wednesday, but I saw it advertised on an ordinary website mm-hmm. um, so that, you know, there's actually the Wednesday is the preparation for the Triduum, and there's something particular to that um, to that Mass that um, I'm not, I'm very curious about, I'm not familiar with. Um, but for Holy Thursday, you know, that's the initiation of the sacrament of the priesthood and the Lord's Supper. Cool. I never really thought about that. So the institution so, of the priesthood at the... Uh, uh-huh. mm-hmm. When was that in the Bible? Uh, that was Holy Thursday, the night that Christ broke bread and took it so and gave last, it to his disciples. The Last Supper then. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yes. Yeah. And um, so it is, it's just a profoundly, it's one of my favorite masses of the liturgical year. Um, The Ubi Caritas, there are so Mm -hmm. many different beautiful settings, just the chant itself. um, is very beautiful, but there are many gorgeous settings of that as well. And so Mm -hmm. um, having that for the offertory is um, just one of my favorites. And um, then there's the mandatum, and uh, there's some really lovely English chant settings of that as well that can be used in regular parishes. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that is a particularly beautiful one, but it also ends, it kind of doesn't end. It just moves. Mm-hmm. Do you How remember do you mean- what happens at the end of that? Of the, at the end of the Holy Thursday Mass? Tell me. <laughs> it ends with a procession where mm-hmm. we take uh, where we take the Eucharist to a special place that's designated for that watching and waiting. And it stays there overnight. Um, in Guam, where I became Catholic, mm-hmm. this place was always beautifully decorated with palms and flowers and it was usually um, like a, a space away from the church, like a, a separate building, or there was like a little chapel area. Um, so there was a very solemn procession going to that space. And then just the sense, that profound sense of waiting with Christ, like knowing that after he broke bread with the disciples, Mm-hmm. That was when he went to the garden to pray. That's when that agony, the agony in the garden took place. Um, right. That's when his betrayal took place. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, then it led into all of the events that led up to the passion. So um, some parishes will have, um, you know, praying and watching until midnight. Um, at St. John the Baptist in Bridgeport, they actually have adoration all the way until the Good Friday Mass, which wow. is actually service on a mass. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so they fill all of those slots from the end of the Holy Thursday Mass till Good Friday. Um, so why, what does that self- mean? Why, why are they doing that? Well, it, it helps us to enter into this period of pointing to Easter Vigil, mm-hmm. where we celebrate 
the glorious. Okay, so here's one of the really cool things about about Holy Thursday. We get the Gloria. We get the Gloria back. Mm-hmm. You know, we haven't sung it for all of Lent, and we we get it back. You know, I at, when I was a, a, a church musician, I loved doing like a, a resounding Gloria because like <laughs> celebratory. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, uh, but then after that, all of the bells are silent until Easter Vigil. And in some parishes, even the organ is silent and the music, like the music is all a cappella. Mm-hmm. But particularly the bells during the consecration on Holy Thursday are silent. Mm-hmm. And there's a clacker. Oh, what's it called? <laughs> I'm so used to calling it a clacker. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know. I know what it looks like, but I don't remember the official name for it. It's like you whirl it around. It has a great name. Um, <laughs> my, my my liturgy friends would like punch me in the arm right now because I can't remember it. Um, but you only use it once a year. And yeah. so I don't remember his name. But um, it has this this empty, hollow sound. So mm-hmm. instead of the warm ringing of the bell, it's somber hmm. and still and really helps us to hone in on something very special that's happening in this Mass yeah. as we enter into, into Good Friday and the cool. Easter Vigil. Um, the, the altar service particularly like... Um, <laughs> It's it's yeah the it, it requires a special technique so they have to practice it. Um, anyway, so the, all of this, you know, we why do we do it? Because it it helps us to the more we can enter into the solemnity of that sacrifice and mm-hmm. the offering the suffering the suffering of Christ that led to his death. Right. The more we can celebrate. The resurrection, mm-hmm. and and the reality is we all carry crosses, and as Catholics we sometimes celebrate them. Right. <laughs> right. Um, it's come up a lot actually in counseling over the past week and a half or so because I I I am at a practice that is Catholic and uh, most of my clients are Catholic, mm-hmm. and um, and are actually seeking out. Catholic counseling because they want counseling that is going to encourage them in their faith as well as help with the mental health aspect. And so um, one of the things that that has come to mind is that during the the Good Friday service, we have the adoration of the cross. Mm -hmm. And do you recall what, what people do when they come up to adore the cross? Well, over here, they uh, usually kiss the feet of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, they bow down and kiss the feet of Jesus. Is that mm-hmm. what you're thinking? Yeah. You know, um, so in ours, I think the ones that, um, a couple of the churches that I've been at, there's not even a crucifix on that particular one. It's just a, it's just a, a wooden cross. cross. Just right. a cross, yeah. So um, it's just a cross, and it's behold the chant that the priest sings as he carries it in on his mm-hmm. shoulders. It's behold the wood of the cross on which hung. I always get this part wrong because I don't sing it. I sing the response. Behold the wood of the cross on which is hung the salvation of the world. Yeah, and, um, uh, our deacon does that part, but yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's a, it really is. Um. It is particularly beautiful. Uh, Behold the wood of the cross on which hung the salvation of the world. And then we reply, Come, let us adore. Um, Come, let us adore. And the, the interesting thing about that is that when the deacon or priest comes in, he's saying, behold the wood of the cross mm-hmm. on which hung the salvation of the world. So the adoration is actually directed to the cross itself. Hmm. That's interesting. So uh, what do you make Isn't of that? Why, why the wood of the cross? What's the 
Why the focus well, on the wooden cross? Because the, the rest of the chant on which hung the salvation of the world. So it's significant, mm-hmm. significant because it's the place of the crucifixion. Mm-hmm. But when we think of the crosses in our lives, we don't typically look at them with adoration. Mm-hmm. What's the normal response? Or even with much appreciation. Uh, resistance, yeah. right? I mean, everybody yeah. tries like mad to get out from whatever it is that's uh, bearing down on the shoulders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the burden. Nobody wants the burden. I don't mm-hmm. want it. I'd much rather hand it off than carry it. Yeah. You know, um, but to not just, you know, think of it, Christ said, take up your cross and follow me. Mm-hmm. Um we have a call to accept that cross. But the only reason you would ever take up a cross is because you're going to the place of your death. But with Christ, it's not only death. Mm-hmm. It's also resurrection and eternal mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. So it is death to self, but life in Christ. Paradoxically. Yes. Absolutely. Okay, are you ready? I'm going to play you some more music. Okay. See if you can, see if you can spot this one. No, oh, no. I'm expecting you to have perfect identification skills since you're so called a musician. Are you ready? <laughs> the words in choir. Oh, I can hear the words. Oh, I don't boy. know which, which setting it is, but I know where it belongs in the mass. So that's the unused day. Means? Which, which means Lamb of God. And the unused day comes before we receive communion, the end of the consecration. Mm-hmm. And um, behold the Lamb of God. So um, uh, we've had plenty of uh, nice little catchy tunes, you know, for these various parts of the Mass at uh, mm-hmm. our modern parish. Um, what makes you... Like <laughs> <laughs> Say that again, Deb? I said, would you like to sing one for us? <laughs> I would love to, but unfortunately, I can't. Uh, <laughs> hmm. The um, uh, what makes this better, though? This is my point. Why do people have to like obsess over old things? <laughs> what makes it better? Yeah. What makes it better? Well, when you think about. Um, or is it Yeah, I mean, it's that's kind of like, a, it's not quite an honest question, is it? Um, what makes it better? Because it assumes that it's better. It doesn't give it an opportunity to not have it be better <laughs> or worse. Um, but, you know, when, when we talk about the type of music that is, that's chant. Mm-hmm. That's Gregorian chant. Um I don't know which mass setting that is. I haven't lived with the the different mass settings long enough to be able to identify them. Saint Antoine. Say again. Saint Antoine. You can find all of these on the CC Watershed uh, website. CC Watershed is a a good website for liturgy and music and stuff. Sorry, Deb. Go ahead. No, I I believe I shared that with you, didn't I? I shared it with you, Deb. That was me sharing it with you just now. Uh, no, I think I, I think I shared that with you first. Anyway, um, yes, the the different chant settings are, um, you know, there are different ones for different seasons. Um, so they each have a, a mode and a style that goes with, let's say, the Easter season would be a more more joyful one. 
um, Lent would be simpler, mm-hmm. um, more solemn. Um, so, you know, I'm thinking of so, some of the many that I've played on the piano, let's say, at a regular a regular um, parish. Um, you know, some of them are very lovely melodies. They're not all they're not all like little catchy tunes. Some of them are very appropriate to that that place in the mass. Right. And um and I, I think perhaps more accessible to those Are you playing this fair just intentionally? Yes, I am. Because we are <laughs> on our way out. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt you, Deb. Um if you I are, just, I, just totally train music. <laughs> I knew that would work. <laughs> Found the secret. If you are one of the few people who have listened to this podcast, thanks for tuning in. <laughs> I promise we will do better as we go along. I will figure out the right buttons to push. <coughs> Deb will develop something to say about the uh, the case history. Just kidding, Deb. But make sure to check out the podcast that's coming at the same time tomorrow. Uh, that will be John Banco in Banco Sibanco, which is an And make sure and tune in most Thursdays, but possibly not this Thursday, um, since it is Maundy Thursday. But we will have another fun podcast with me, Fred Bowley, and Brian Nelson, who is coming into the church this Easter, this Easter vigil. So, uh, thank you very much, Deb. I hope you get some rest. I know it's uh, draining to be doing counseling all day long. That's what I did as well. So, um, but um, I appreciate your your good words, and your expertise, and I will plan to do it again next week. All right. Blessings. We will have a guest, won't we? We're going to have Gian with us, aren't we? We will. We will have Gian Millis with us. who is one of my colleagues, and uh, looking forward to bringing him into the discussion. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I look forward to it. And have a very All happy right. Easter. Mary, on the word not, pray for us. Ostende nobis Domine misericordiam Tuam, et salutare Tuum da nobis, Domine exaurio rationem meam, et clamor meus adveniam. Dominus vobiscum, et cum spiritu tuum, oremus, exaurimus Dominus.